the AFL Show, part of the Mojo Sports Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Mojo Sports AFL Show. I'm your host, Callum Dunk. It is a pleasure uh, for you to join us uh, wherever you may be listening, around Australia, around the world. Joining me as usual, as usual is the panel members we've got jake we've got ash and we've got nathan so boys uh thanks for joining me again it was a very good round of footy my port boys got up carlton had a nice win over some witches hats at Optus <laughs> stadium jake's bombers uh didn't mm. necessarily take it up to the cats and heartbreak for Nathan's Crowies on Sunday night. So very interesting round of footy, but let's get straight into the hot topics from the weekend. Not necessarily football game related, but um, big announcements with Gillen McLaughlin's uh, replacement finally named. So Andrew Dillon will take over as CEO of the AFL starting in October. So once the season finishes up and, um, it's taken a while for the AFL to agree on Gill's replacement, but Andrew Dillon's been at the AFL for about 23 years now. So I think it's a pretty good choice overall. I know that um, Kylie Watson-Wheeler was uh, heavily um, speculated to be in the running for the position. Uh, she's the CEO of Disney Australia. Um, and Travis Ald, who was the uh, fixture uh, expert for the AFL um, during those COVID years was, um, you know, really highly regarded in the process. But um, Nathan, what were your thoughts on the announcement of Andrew Dillon uh, yesterday? Oh, I think long overdue, you know, I think it was over a year ago now that Gil came out and said that he uh, was stepping aside and they've been looking for a replacement. But I, I think it's good. Um, we finally now got a roadmap to what the next phase in AFL footy looks like, where we've been in sort of limbo of, you know, Gil hanging around and trying to final off, finish off a few deals rather. So I think now it's an exciting time for the AFL to, you know, finishing the gill era and start then looking forward to, um, you know, what's next for the game. And, you know, there's plenty of exciting things hearing hearing uh, Andrew Dillon talk early of, you know, the evolutions that he might try and make in the game as well. So I think overall it's an exciting, exciting day for the game. And Jake, what were your thoughts about um, our new CEO of the AFL? Yeah, I mean, he's come in at a really good time with the Tasmanian teams and all that speculation. Um, you know, Gillen's been there for uh, nine or so years, and that's around the mark where all CEOs, you know, that nine to 11-year range. So uh, Andrew's got a long time ahead of him, and, you know, we've still got the Hawthorne scandal and everything like that to kind of all patch up. So there's a lot for him to do, and um, I think he has a lot of time as well, so it's good. And finally, Ash, uh, what are your thoughts about the announcement Oh, I think it's pretty straightforward. I think most people were sort of expecting us as the AFL announced that they were doing a, a wide search and, and putting all this money and time into it only to bring in the replacement to someone who just, you know, office was a few doors down from Gil McLaughlin. But I think the thing about Andrew Dillon, it's interesting because he has a, a real sort of background within the AFL and sort of the legal sector. So I'm interested to see if sort of with his prior experience, he potentially makes a few changes to the MRO and the tribunal system, um, mm. you know, because that could be something potentially to look into. And Bill McLaughlin, I think, um, you know, especially through COVID, which was a major sort of um, change for the game, and we saw a lot of difficulties, that the way that he sort of allowed the season to run through essentially three COVID-affected years, 20 to 20 to 2022. Um, and then he also had the recent broadcasting deal, I think $4.5 billion um, with seven, which sort of um, settles a bit of the debt associated with COVID and then also the um, establishment of the AFLW. So I think he's been um, – he's, he's done quite a bit for the game, good on him, and it's sort of nice to see a replacement and uh, a bit of a fresh face. The, the thing that I think that's quite um, interesting about this announcement is, as you mentioned, Ash, you know, saying that they're going to do a wide search and then – sort of ended up going with the internal candidate and having worked in the sports industry for a number of years, like I understand, you know, you'd like to groom your own people to take the, take the role. But um, yeah, it's, I think it's a good announcement. I think it's something that we all expected to kind of happen as 
soon as Gil announced that he was looking to step away. But uh, she touched on some really good points. You know, some of the great things that Gil's achieved, the introduction of AFLW and that expanding from an eight-team competition to an 18 uh, team competition is uh, spectacular for the AFL. It's really enhanced grassroots um, footy with girls getting involved with their local clubs. Um, you touch on the big TV broadcast rights deal. You know, that was something that he really wanted to tie up before uh, he left the AFL, signing a deal, I believe, to the end of twenty. 31 for memory um and that's going to um you know mean more money for players and more money for clubs and hopefully we can get back to those pre-covid levels get more people employed back in the afl um with with those funds and continue to um you know grow the game further with with those funds and as you touched on um i think gail glue uh Gil will be sticking around a little bit longer just to see how this Hawthorne racism scandal sort of plays out. And Jake touched on this as well. Um, So I'm glad you brought that up, Jake. But, um, yeah, it will be interesting to see how that all plays out. It will be good for, um, you know, Andrew Dillon to have those guidance from Gil um, in the next few months before that official handover sort of takes place. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a really positive move for the AFL. And I hope Andrew Dillon, you know, tries to put his own spin on things. You know, um, I think Gil's done a magnificent job. And Ash, as you mentioned, you know, those COVID-affected years were really tough for the AFL. But, you know, it was something to look forward to when we were watching on TV with, uh, you know, fixture um, frenzy, you know, footy frenzy, as they called it, where you had a game every night. Uh, it was just great to get you through those COVID times. So, uh, well done to the AFL and well done to Gillen McLaughlin for his service to the sport over the last uh, nine or so years, as Jake touched on. Now, let's talk about Tassie. Uh, it's fantastic that the 19th team has pretty well been announced now. Um, you know, it got the approval from all 18 clubs unanim- unanimously today, which is fantastic. And I think it's something that's been long overdue, you know, in COVID, particularly in 2021, we had two finals played down in Launceston, which was really a great advertisement for the game. There was a few other games in Tassie throughout the year as teams were able to fly in and out. But Nathan, I'll throw it to you, mate. What are your uh, initial thoughts about Tassie and, um, you know, when do you think they'll actually come into the competition? I know they've talked about 2027 being the year, but would they be ready to join the competition in that year or should they wait till that stadium in Macquarie Point is completed, which is looking like a 2028 or 2029 um, opening? Well, first of all, I think for Tasmania, it's fantastic. Um I think we've seen in recent history with the addition of the Tasmanian Jack Jumpers to the uh, the NBL, um, just how much of a revolution it's been. You know, they made the grand final series in their first year, and you know, memberships and attendances at games went gangbusters. So I think the appetite there, the sport in Tassie, is a hundred percent ready to go. Um, in regards to when they should join the competition, I'm of the opinion that they should wait until the stadium's ready, and I, I don't think the team should enter you know, under construction or half done. I think, you know, wait till this is all done and the facilities are ready to go and there's a grand opening and and the Tasmanian team is introduced into the league um, with a bang. I also think it gives time to the uh, for the AFL to introduce a 20th team as well. Um, now, the reason I say this in... I look to NRL. This week they're going to Brisbane for Magic Round or their version of Gather Round where all the teams ascend on Brisbane for the weekend and they play um, the round up there across numerous stadiums. Now, the funniest thing about it is with the addition of the of the Dolphins to the competition, they've got an uneven amount of teams. So Newcastle, I'm pretty sure it is, are now missing out and not attending um, their version of Gather Round, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um so I think now the AFL has got a decision to make that they just introduced something like the Gather Round um, where it was a fantastic product. 
do we now look to, you know, in the next six to seven years or whatever it might be for Tassie to get up and going with that stadium and their team, look for a location and implementing a a, a 20th team into the competition? I think, um, you know, with enough time um, on our hands, it's something that they should definitely look at. Yeah, I think you raised some really valid points there, Nathan, and I'm in complete agreement with you that they shouldn't enter the competition until that stadium in Macquarie Point is 100% ready to go. We've seen what has happened to clubs that are underprepared, looking at you, the Gold Coast Suns, uh, in this one. So, you know, they were training out of transportables back in 2010, the Gold Coast Suns. Uh, Metricon wasn't ready to go until... I think halfway through 2011 and, you know, they were playing games out of the Gabba, which wasn't the worst result. Uh, it was good for, for Queensland footy um, in at that time when they were playing at the Gabba. But, um, yeah, we want a team to come in to almost try and hit the ground running sort mm-hmm. of thing. And, you know, those early years, that there's still going to be development years, but um, we don't want to see Tasmania being witches' hats because that would be a disservice to the footy state. Ash, I'll throw it to you next, mate. Uh, What are your initial thoughts on Tassie? And if the AFL was going to look to introduce a 20th team, what would be the most likely location in your eyes? Um, Well, I agree with uh, Nathan about the whole bias situation. I think it's a bit sort of weird having a team have a a buy every single every single round, and then it sort of comes up to the stage where you can have a team having a bye every single round, but then if you only have 19 teams and then 23, 24 rounds, however many you have, it it sort of creates a bit of an uh, an unbalance there. So that sort of creates more problems and solutions. The thing about creating a 20th team, though, is I'm concerned about the sort of talent pool and similar – in a way, to the AFLW, how many sort of thought that they were expanding way too quickly. And obviously, adding two teams is nothing like what the AFL have done in recent years to their, to their competition. But when, when you look at a few teams like West Coast who are playing a lot of those sort of uh, fringe players, a lot of the youngsters and draftees and could be potentially, you know, playing a few academy players, I sort of worry about the difference in quality from a few of the sort of uh, teams, even within teams, from the higher quality players to the lower quality players. And then you sort of got to think about, similar to what James Sicily said in a way, but how attractive is sort of um, the thought of of playing in Tasmania? I'm not saying that it is or it isn't, but that's something that's going to weigh up on these players' minds. And the same as if we were to open up a 20th team in Northern Territory. I'm just not sure how appealing that is going to be potentially move the 20th team to sort of a third team in Adelaide or or Western Australia. But I guess that's all yet to be seen. I think uh, Kami mentioned pre-show moving, you know, relocating a Gold Coast. Just uh, say that you got that one wrong. But I'm in favour of an odd team and preferably, uh, sorry, an even number of teams and preferably a smaller number than a larger one. And Jake, lucky last mate, what are your Initial thoughts on Tassie, uh, thoughts on the stadium that they're looking to create. Should there be a 20th team that the mm-hmm. AFL looks at now to keep it even? And um, is Gather Round something that could head to Tassie um, when they do enter the comp as a way to really kickstart footy in the state even further than it already is? Yeah, well, I mean, first off, I just love how the league's growing. I mean, going from 16 to then 18 and then now potentially to a 19th and 20th team possibly in the future, but 19th at the moment, I think it's really good for the game. Um, And, yeah, I mean, gather around. I wouldn't mind seeing it in Tassie. Um, You saw how Adelaide got around it. They loved it. Uh, So I think if you bring it to those towns um, where they're really craving football, I think it would be really good for them. And I agree with Ash in the way where, it might not be advertising for players to go and play in Tasmania, but if you do put a team in Adelaide or Western Australia, for example, I think there could be a lot of suitors to go there for a lot of money because, you know, you saw the money that obviously Gary Ablett's on a really like a different level, but there could be a lot of money to be thrown around towards some uh, middle top-end talent uh, to go play for those states. So I think, yeah, I think it's a good idea and can't wait for it to happen. I would personally love a team in the Northern Territory. I think it's really, um, if you watch some of the NT footy 
footy league up there. I think it's just great footy to watch. The conditions are unique. Um, the mm. question that I would have around the, the Northern Territory would be uh, infrastructure. You know, a lot of money would have to be invested into it. And sure, a lot of money is going to need to be invested into Tasmania. But um, I think now that the 19th team has been announced, it's inevitable that a 20th team will come in. I don't think they will look to shut down, you know, either GWS or, you know, Gold Coast, which we've talked about before, or relocate one of the Mel- struggling Melbourne teams like a North Melbourne or, you know, St Kilda are going okay on the field at the moment, but they are, um, in a financial point of view, they are struggling a little bit, hence, you know, selling games to Cairns in, re- in previous years. So, one to keep our eyes on and hopefully we might be able to get some extra details about what the AFL planning in the next, you know, 18 to, to 24 months. But overall, a very good start to the week for the AFL. Uh, let's talk some actual footy now. So uh, it was very, I was very happy on Friday night uh, with Port Adelaide getting the win over the Saints. Unfortunately, my multi decided to lose by a disposal. Thanks a lot, Brad Crouch. Um, but that's that's part of life. So, um, Jake, I'll throw it to you first, mate. Uh, what were your particular thoughts on the weekend and is there any games that stood out to you? Well, I mean, I, I look at the GWS game first. Uh, what a win against the Swans. I mean, you look you look at GWS and you go, what GWS are we getting today? Are we getting that GWS team that might not show up to the game or are we going to get the GWS team where all the veterans and all the young players, you know, they combine together. And I think just a great game by them. They stayed in the game all game, took advantage of an injured Swans team and a team that's not in form. And really Toby Green, you know, what a match winner, marked the ball and was able to get a goal um, as well around the corner. And then uh, I look at the Gold Coast Suns being able to come down to Melbourne and Obviously beat the Tigers, who haven't been informed, but at Marvel Stadium, uh, not in home territory, and uh, Matt, uh, Ben King uh, kicking you know, nine goals in his last two weeks. So I think it's a good sign for him and his development, and he's just come out today and you know, kind of given some Sun supporters um, some good news that he's not looking at going away and he's looking at possibly staying around for a little bit longer with the Suns, which is good. So that's what I like from the weekend. No, that's good from you, uh, Jake. With talking about the Giants and, and Toby Green being being the hero. I think it was a good um, good story. And they they wear one of the best jumpers in footy at the moment oh, yeah. with the Never Surrender uh, charcoal and orange outline jumper. Absolutely love that one. Um, and you mentioned Richmond as well. Um, they're very concerning for me. I, I don't see them making the eight now. Um, and the Damien Hardwick Marble curse uh, kind of continues on. So I don't think they've won a game at Marble since he made those comments uh, late in 2021 from memory. So, yeah, uh, basically being on six points after seven rounds, you know, they're, they're just too far behind the eight ball for me. And there's a number of teams above them. You know, you've got Fremantle and we think Fremantle played so poorly this year, yeah. and they're still on more points than Richmond at the moment. So, um, yeah, not good times for, for Damien Hardwick. There's been a lot of talk around, you know, when's the right time for him to finish at Richmond. And, you know, it was spoken pretty heavily on Footy Classified last night. And, um, you know, as long as Damien Hardwick wants to be there, um, you know, he sticks around for a fair while, I reckon. And if he's got the passion to coach and potentially take him through a little decline in order to get themselves back up the ladder, then, you know, that's what he needs to do. But I think it's just being highlighted more with the amount of money that they've spent uh, and the draft capital too, as well on uh, Hopper and Taranto. And they've been solid pickups to Richmond, no doubt about it, but uh, it was a heavy price to pay. I'll shut up now. I'll hand it over to one of the other boys. Uh, Ash, what did you like or dislike from the weekend? Well, just touching on from what Jake said, um, I think Toby Green, a lot of people sort of when he received the captaincy were pretty sceptical based off some of his behavioural issues on and off the field. But I think what he's proved, especially over the weekend, is that he is a genuine match winner and one of the very few of that in the comp. And he's the type of player that you sort of take inspiration to um, to drag yourself over the line. And he certainly did that with the um, the winning kick on goal. Um, with some other games, 
obviously it wouldn't be uh, it would be remiss of me not to touch on uh, the Navy Blues. Um, and what more can you say, Charlie Kerno? Um, <laughs> it was a, a nightmare for um, the undersized and undermanned Eagles defense. I think Josh Rotham was on on Kerno for for three quarters, and he already kicked a bag on him, and then. Adam Simpson decided to move the the rookie sub, Rhett Bazo. Um, complete domination. He could have had 10 if he didn't drop one on the goal square. Um, but I think sort of, and I know talking to you boys, sort of saying don't overreact if can't win by 60 plus, 70 plus. But I, I think you've sort of got to understand in a way that this was a Carlton side, which just, you know, four years ago, this is what was happening to them. And to have a win like that, it's the first time that it has ever happened with this current group of players. And especially for a team that has struggled so much, you know, in years gone past, and especially this year to sort of finish off their work with the, you know, foot to the floor and really get to the job done and perform over four quarters. It really means a lot. And it's, and it's not just about the big margin. It's about the fact that they were sort of, you know, able to, to, to push on and not let the Eagles sort of get a few goals back at the end and those sorts of things. Um, Calvin have lost to the Eagles seven times out of the last eight. So a bit of a bogey side. And, and on top of that, we've only had five 60 plus point wins in the last decade. So I think it's big for belief and especially for a time where they've had some pretty disappointing losses the last fortnight are coming up into, you know, a month and a bit where they've got some really hard uh, games to be played, a tough fixture. I think this is going to give them a lot of belief and sort of if they, this is proof that they can play good footy. And I'm looking forward to see what lies ahead with a few challenging weeks. Sounds like uh, our one-eyed Carlton supporters <laughs> back on the, back on the panel this week after a couple of disappointing weeks. But I'll throw it to Nathan now. Um, what did you take from the weekend, mate? Um, you know, your, your side kicked inaccurately, but they were all over Collingwood and should have really had that game done by quarter time. Yeah, look, obviously on Sunday night, it was a tough pill to swallow for, as you sort of said, um, a game of pretty much three quarters where we dominated the team that's almost unanimously now the best team in the competition, I think. And you look at a three goal 10 um, at, at half time and you're only up by a goal. The game should have been over well and truly by then. And, you know, their ability to then hang around and, and go blow for blow with them in the third quarter, I think was, you know, a promising sign for a team that was probably low on confidence um, after a first half of struggles. And I, I think, you know, the four, Fourth quarter is probably the biggest concern for me where I think the Crows probably got it wrong. Um, You know, Chase Jones kicks a goal within the first two minutes of that fourth quarter to put us up by 22 and, you know, four goals. I know it's Collingwood, but given the conditions and the way the game was going, it felt safe without it feeling safe. Um, But then Crows then went into shutdown mode and obviously the inevitable Collingwood wave was always going to come. But, you know, I think you've got to fight fire with fire in that situation. You can't go into your shell and um, expect to hold on for dear life. Um, You've almost got to continue to try and win the game as opposed to hold on to the game. And I I think one thing that the Crows will probably look at this week is um, Josh Dacos in the fourth quarter had 12 disposals and all he did in that fourth quarter was play off the back of the Collingwood stoppage and not once did an Adelaide Crows play go to him. And we obviously opted instead to have mostly Jordan Dawson as our spare defender um, playing behind the ball. And I think that's probably what ended up doing us over was the fact that Collingwood got such easy use of the ball at the clearance um, and then and then came, came forward with the numbers. Um, and it was just like Essendon last weekend in Anzac Day. You could see it coming. And, you know, even with two minutes ago when we held the lead, you still didn't feel like we were going to hold on. And as unfortunate as it is to drop a game to someone like Collingwood, you know, I think you've got to hold your head high that we could say that we were probably the better team and we just failed to execute in the key moments of the game. Um, but, you know, another important game for the Crows this week going down to Geelong. So I'm intrigued to see how they um, bounce back. But in saying that, the flip side of that is Collingwood. You know, I think the biggest thing with Collingwood at the moment is their injury list. And, you know, we we talked about a couple of teams that are struggling with injuries. But, you know, just, just bear with me for a second. But we're talking 
Darcy Cameron and Mason Cox, who are their ruck slash tall forward duo right now. That's a massive out. And, you know, you just look at the weekend where, you know, Collingwood don't really have any tall forward goal-scoring goal options and then uh, continuously being, um, you know, torn up in the ruck. And Riley O'Brien was the next uh, player to sort of uh, benefit from that, I guess. And then you've got Jeremy Howe, who's a mainstay defender in that team. And he's obviously been out since round one. And that's a massive loss for them. Dan McStay's out for another two months with that finger injury at least, um, who's that sort of second tall forward, third tall forward for them. Um, Pat Lipinski, whether or not he, you know, gets a run for them or not this year, I'm not too sure, but he's a good depth player at least. And then, you know, Scott Penderbury, you, you know, that you, you take 350-plus games out of that team and, you know, that's a ma- massive uh, in for them next week, um, assuming he recovers from that eye injury. But, look, you know, as frustrating as it was as a Crow supporter, I, I think Collingwood still are the benchmark um, and I'm really intrigued to see what they can do, especially when they get their full cavalry back and can select a, a best 23 from their list, I think. Yeah, you make some really great points there, Nathan, about Collingwood. And um, someone that I've been impressed by, particularly in the last two weeks, is Billy Frampton, you know, uh, Mm. originally drafted to Port Adelaide, I think, with the last pick in the draft, which was 84, uh, spent five years on the Port Adelaide list for three or four games, you know, come to the Crows during a COVID year, uh, have a positional change to go and play down back, has a breakout game against the, the Western Bulldogs, um, taking 26 possessions in a in a cold, windy game down in Ballarat. Um, and then he goes and looks for a fresh opportunity at a place like Collingwood, and no one expected him to really get a game. Um, we all thought he was more of an insurance thing. And um, I think the way that he's been able to go from key defender supporting Darcy Moore to a Ruckman now. And I don't think anyone's expecting him to be massive tap Ruckman, but the fact that he's very mobile, he can get around the ground. He kicks really well for a 200 centimeter um, plus player. You know, that's, you know, something that's going to be really handy for them. And, you know, when they get Cox back, when they get Cameron back, it's just going to continue to add more strings to their bow. They're going to have more options. They can be more flexible in their matchups. And, um, you know, Jeremy Howe's a big one that you talk about. So I only see Collingwood getting stronger, to be honest, when they start to, you know, slowly get these players back. And as we talked about with St Kilda, because they've been able to get these wins early, um, they're able to not rush these guys back. Some of them might be able to go and play a week or two in the BFL um, and get, you know, proper match fit before, you know, jumping back um, into the AFL side. So, boys, other than the Tigers, which we've talked about tonight, are there any particular teams that we are concerned by? I know that West Coast are extremely undermanned at the moment um, and Ash is very happy about what happened on the weekend, but um, the West Coast is someone that I have a big concern with and, um, you know, they've done. there's a lot of positives to, you know, take out of what West Coast have done over the last couple of years. They've been able to, you know, blood some good talent. I really like their acquisition of Jaden Hunt and I was pretty big on that in the trade period. He's been great in AFL fantasy, but, you know, they're almost as, whenever it's West Coast and Hawthorne, it's going to be the Harley Reid Cup, essentially. So, um, Jake, I'll throw it to you first, mate. Are there any teams that you're particularly worried about after the weekend? Uh, not particularly uh, worried about, but I'll say about Essendon. I think uh, we're kind of starting to see our true colours in a way, kind of how we started off the season quite well. We got a few early wins, but I think now we're kind of settling back into the range where I think we all predicted. I think between the 11th and 13th on the ladder, um, we started off quite slow on the weekend, uh, you know, giving up uh, six goals in the first quarter and eight goals in that second quarter. So that's 14 goals in a half of footy, and it's hard to come back from. So we're playing catch-up footy for the whole game. Uh, it's hard to stop a man like Hawkins when he's on fire, and you've got to take care of Cameron as well. So... We were missing Laverde. Ultimately, uh, Redmond had the matchup on Hawkins, and that's a pretty big size advantage. So I think also uh, Myers has stepped up quite well for Geelong this year. Um, I think he's leading the league in um, 
goal assists. So he stepped up quite well at 24 on the weekend. Uh, and it was a big game. I mean, I don't know how we lose a game where Wiedemann has five and Stringer has, uh, you know, four and 26. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, they're good. The signs are there, but I just want that four quarter effort because that's, you know, two weeks in a row where we kind of play well for three and then that one quarter just uh, gets away from us. So um, I think, yeah, that's what I'm looking at. Yeah, Geelong were electric in that first yeah. quarter and, um, you know, Tomahawk had a pretty slow start to the year, but we've really seen him come into his own over the last, you know, two weeks in particular. So that's 13 goals in two weeks, which mm-hmm. um, is a fantastic time for the Cats. And um, now that, you know, the, the key duo of, Hawkins and Cameron are starting to fire on a more consistent basis. It's um, Geelong stocks have risen and, you know, people are starting to get back on the cat's wagon. So, um, Ash, you next, mate. Are there any teams that you're particularly concerned about from the weekend? Um, I think Freo Freo is an interesting team because they sort of have been pretty disappointing, but they also showed some promising signs with sort of a few of their negatives. I think it's never tough. Uh, it's never easy to play Brisbane at the Gabba. But, you know, smashed by 20 in contested possessions, 20 in clearances, 20 in inside 50s. Uh, and it's the second game in a row where they've been beaten by eight goals. So they've had a, a rough few weeks. But I think one of the positives for me was how compared to sort of earlier on in the season, Freo sort of looked um, a bit more eager to take the game on, um, especially with the handball games and getting those handball receives. They're looking to uh, play with a bit more aggression. I think they had 78 handballs in the first quarter alone, which was the most by any team in any quarter so far this season. So the good thing is, is they were looking for those options and being aggressive with their ball movement. But obviously that means that sort of when you lack a bit of that class and polish, Brisbane are going to, you know, destroy you on the turnover. And that that's sort of what we saw happen and the reason why they got beaten so heavily. So I think I wouldn't say that it's worrying signs for Freo. They clearly haven't had the season which they were hoping to have, but they've sort of had a few promising signs so far uh, last week. And lucky last night, then what are your what's your worried team at the moment? Well, first of all, thank you, Ash. I don't have to talk about Freo and their concerns <laughs> this week. Um, I think the team for me has got to be Sydney. Um, you know, I, I think everyone was maybe a little bit surprised about how quickly they rose to ascendancy last year, making it to a grand final. And obviously we knew what happened and, you know, there's a potential that, you know, even myself included probably overreacted a little bit after their first two rounds where they, you know, touched up Gold Coast and Hawthorne. But ever since they've been a, a probably a mediocre team at best, I think dropping two games at home, which included fade outs in the fourth quarter to Port Adelaide and then GWS um, on the weekend. And then two annihilations, really one against Melbourne at the G um, on that, on that Saturday afternoon game, I think it was from memory. And then their 90 point loss to, um, to Geelong as well. And, you know, you, you do just wonder, you know, what of that is, you know, a premiership, a premiership hangover as well. And we're talking about a team that is still, you know, age profile-wise quite young. Um, and a lot of their key players are in that, you know, 22 to 26 range and, you know, a lot of expectations now. And be, being the team they were last year, they're, they're, they're the hunted now. The people are coming for them and, um bringing their best every single time that they play Sydney. And I think the biggest thing now for me that I've seen confidently over Sydney, understanding they are a little bit, you know, light on down back though, is their defensive execution, especially around stoppage. And I think, yes, sure, you might have some big name key defenders or whatever, but that doesn't stop your effort in um, playing man-on-man footy around the stop- around the stoppages. And I think the biggest one for me was that Toby, goal, uh, Toby Green goal late rather. And, you know, it's a cardinal sin to let any player have that much space um, in D50, let alone someone as dangerous as Toby. So I think, you know, John Longmuir's probably got his um, his hands full now with what he does with this Sydney team next, and it doesn't get any easier for them. They've got to go to uh, Melbourne and play um, Collingwood at the G on Sunday now, and if they lose, I'm not saying it's, you know, a long road back for them from three and five, but, you know, with the top eight and the top ten of the competition being so competitive and so many wins being banked early in this season, you know, there's, you know, I think you've got to be on four and a half wins at the moment to be in the eight, um, after seven rounds, you know, after eight, nine, ten rounds, how many wins do you need to be in that top eight and contending to make the finals? You don't want to slip too much further behind. So I think I'm flagging Sydney's one just to watch over the next fortnight or so. I'm still 
backing Sydney to make the eight, but I don't think they're going to finish as high as some people probably anticipated early in the year. I think I had them in sixth position at the start of the year when we did our first, you know, preview episode. And, you know, I'm probably thinking it's at that seventh and, and eighth position that if they do get in, that's where they'll come. And, you know, once you make the eight, who knows what's going to happen? You know, they were able to, you know, upset Melbourne, um, who we all thought were pretty well, you know, shoe-ins for the, the, the flag last year, or at some point we assumed they were shoe-ins for the flag. So the other team that I'm pretty concerned about was North Melbourne after, you know, Saturday night. And I'm going to give a bit of a rocket to the fixturing department of the AFL. Why on God's green earth would you put Melbourne, who finished fifth, North Melbourne, who finished 18th, and West Coast, who finished 17th against a team that, you know, a lot of people expected to finish in the top eight this year. And um, it was just a mind-blowing <laughs> fixturing muck-up that, you know, those games were your two marquee games on Saturday night. Like, you know, put a Crows and I know no one – predicted the Crows to rise as quickly as they sort of have. But, you know, there was a couple of games on the Sunday that I thought were, you know, better Saturday night, you know, blockbusters. So I don't know if I'm being overly harsh on North Melbourne here. I hope someone agrees with me that that was a muck up in the fixture with, you know, the TV rights. But um, just with the way that North Melbourne played, they were very – uncompetitive and it was sort of the stuff that we've seen under David Noble and we all know that North Melbourne are a continuing to develop team and they're going to be like that for the next couple of years but um, so far with what we've seen from Alistair Clarkson you know they've always come to play and that's the one time that this year that they haven't really Mm. you know come come to play so far so Am I being hard on North Melbourne, Nathan, or um, was the fixturing and the TV selection games uh, not not good this week? Uh, considering I probably watched all of about half an hour of footy on Saturday night, I think it probably speaks to the poor uh, fixturing. But look, I think you know it is, it is probably fair to North Melbourne. We didn't expect much out of them last out of out of them this year, but I think what they showed us in the first two rounds at least showed us a little bit of promise that you know they're a team on the improve and a team that's going to be competitive and not have this happen to them. But you know to sort of see them lose all faith and all confidence in themselves so early in the game and essentially roll over and let Melbourne do as they will with them, I think was the most disappointing part. You know, I sort of I compare that to Hawthorne, for example, who, you know, Hawthorne haven't rolled over yet this year. They've kept on fighting and made a made a real feisty, tough tussle. And, you know, it was the same with them against the Bulldogs in the week. And the Bulldogs probably could have and expected to almost probably kick away with that game, but Hawthorne hung around. And we haven't seen that from North Melbourne over the last couple of weeks, which I think has been the most disappointing thing with them. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Couldn't agree with you more. Boys, time to move into our AFL fantasy segment. Now, it was a very, very high-scoring round, and the highest score of the round was in the 2,500s, which makes me think, I kind of was thinking on Saturday night, oh, you beauty, I'm on 1,800 with five players to go. Um, I ended up with 2,309, and that included a donut on my field. Now, the worst part was, my donut actually took the field in Bailey Humphrey. So I've got a bit of a rocket to Bailey Humphrey. I wasn't expecting a, a, a ton from him, but maybe a, a 50, a 60 would have been nice to, to add to the score, would have helped me go up in the rankings a little bit. Um, but, yeah, putting the BC on Ron Marshall against Brent, uh, Bryn Teekle on Friday night worked a treat. He ended up with 318 as my captain. Um, Oliver continues on his good form with 125. Andy Brayshaw was back to his better form with 113. And uh, my forward line continues to get it done. Rosie got 84. You know, would have been expecting closer to 95 from him, but still pretty happy with that. 
Taranto 126, Dunkley 115, Cogs 101, uh, Sheasel back to form after a 47 with a 126. And Kay Chandler, I took a risk playing him on my field against North Melbourne and it paid off beautifully. He scored 106. And Will Ashcroft got 115. I think it's the first time he's properly cracked the ton, which is good. So in terms of my trades this week, I'm looking at uh, flicking Gimby. We've been talking about this in the WhatsApp group. Uh, so I'll be doing one upgrade, one downgrade. So Gimby and Philippu to Sinclair and Weddle from the Hawks. Uh, he scored 55, so he's a defender at 282, which leaves me 147 for a future upgrade. So I'm hoping to eventually um, get Warple and Callahan off my field, but they survive another week after scoring very well. Probably look to flick them at the buy round. So, Ash, how did you go in fantasy? Well, I scored, despite being my highest score for the for the year with a twenty one eighty one. I moved down about five k in the rankings. Which, um, look, I've I've come to a point where over the last few weeks, I've sort of realised I'm nowhere near winning or, or getting a hat or anything. So I thought. I'm going to make some really out there trades and I've sort of continued the, the trend. <laughs> this week. No, oh, here I, we go. Here no, we go. I, I, I banked a fair bit of cash over the last few weeks, downgrading Setterfield early, which, which was, which worked out well. Downgraded Goulden as well to a rookie, which obviously didn't work out how I expected, but you know, these sort of things sort of happen when you take the risks. So I, I had about oh, quite a bit of cash. I don't know the exact number. So I've gone upgrade. Uh, Ruben Jinby and uh, Davey Jr. So I've gone with Jaden Short, who's a, a bit of a point of difference, but I thought, you know, I also have uh, Liam Baker and Short has sort of completely killed his role. So I thought, why not get the boast of bo- the best of both worlds? So no matter who plays well out of Baker and Short, at least I can guarantee one good score from them. So that's what I've done. I've also taken a punt on Rory Atkins, who scored a ton in his first game for the season? He's only priced at about three hundred k. Who knows if he's going to do well? But I'm going to I'm going to take the risk there. There's a bit of talk that Sam Flanders, I think, had thirty touches in the VFL, so he might come in. Braden Fiorini, who knows what's going to happen with him? So I thought a few risky moves. I was really contemplating Sam Walsh, and I really the inner blue in me really wanted to bring him in, but I thought it's a bit too safe for me. Let's go some risky moves, and, and that's what's. That's probably what's going to happen. We're only, what, round eight, and I'm already sort of losing the plot here. So who knows who will be gone by the end of the year. Yeah, there's been a lot of uh, Rory Atkins love um, this week in the um, AFL Fantasy Trade Group where you can basically just put your trades in that you're looking to do and basically get either really good feedback or really average feedback on the moves that you've decided to make. Um, so I won't be jumping on the Rory Atkins trade because it won't be, it'll be two or three weeks and he's back in the VFL. So um, based on what I've seen from him in the past and yeah, that move to the Gold Coast hasn't really worked well for him since leaving Adelaide. Maybe he should have stuck with your boys, Nathan, but Nathan, how did you go with fantasy, mate? Uh, well, luckily, didn't get the lowest score out of us. So I got a twenty-one ninety-four, which in the scheme of things was was pretty poor. Um, I missed the boat on Marshall. I decided to stick strong with uh, Tim English as my vice captain, who let me down. Um, and then I chose to ignore my own flag, which I mentioned on the podcast last week about Nick Dacos being tagged by Ben Keys, which I watched and I was happy that it happened. But in the back of my mind, wasn't happy that it happened because I did have Dacos as my captain. Um, and that let me down, which was unfortunate. So I lost a lot of points through poor choice in vice captaining and captaining in my team. Um, so I'm quite lucky. I have a fair bit of money in the bank this week to have some fun. So I am going to rage trade Setterfield, who I wanted to trade last week, but I decided to trade Luke Davies Uniac instead just because of his injury concerns and it meant that I could go straight to Nick Dacos, which is a, a set and forget sort of a move anyway. So 
This week I look to move um, Will Setterfield to pretty much anyone excluding Clayton Oliver because I don't have enough money to do so. So that could be a Steele, a Walsh, uh, you know, even someone like a Sarong or Brayshaw. So I've got my choice of players. So I, I don't know who I'll go to yet, but I will be getting a Uber premium as we call it. Um, and then I still have enough money to be able to upgrade a rookie. Now, again, it's going to depend on team selections, but I'll be upgrading a rookie and I'm going to do a bit of an ash and try and get a pod, but he's been spoken about a lot this week, but Braden Fiorini. Now, Braden Fiorini is an underrated fantasy player. And I can say this confidently having owned him previously. Back in 2019, he played a full season for Gold Coast and averaged exactly 100 for the year. And he is known as being a bit of a pig, especially with Tuke Miller out at the moment. You know, and him coming into the into the side and likely not being the sub for the next month or so, there's, the role is going to be there for him to be around the ball and, and and rack up those disposals and cheap marks and even the tackles around the contest, which he does get. So I'm going to take the risk and hopefully no one else jumps on him this week. But they're my moves, I reckon, is uh, probably a, an Uber Premium and Braden Fiorini. That's that's good. I'm very disappointed in you for not taking Marshall's 162 vice captaincy uh, choice there. That that that's not good from you, Nathan. I'm sorry. I've got to get stuck into you for that. Yeah. It would be our listeners would be ashamed if I didn't get stuck into you for that. But that concludes our AFL fantasy segment. Let's preview the games in round eight. So Friday night. We've got the Blues, Ash's beloved Blues, taking on the Brisbane Lions at Marvel. Um, that's going to be a very interesting contest because Brisbane don't travel well, uh, but it's going to be a really good test for Carlton. Uh, Richmond play the Witches' Hats at the MCG on Saturday afternoon. Sorry, West Coast supporters. The Cats take on the Crows at GMHBA Stadium. That's always a tongue twister to get out. Uh, the Demons travel up to Gold Coast to take on the Suns and the Doggies travel to Monica Oval to take on the Giants. So it's a good rivalry between those two clubs. Expect it to be a fiery contest leading all the way back to that 2016 prelim. Uh, also on Saturday night, we have Fremantle taking on the Hawks. On Sunday, my beloved Port Adelaide will be taking on Jake's Bombers, which should be a very interesting um, contest with the way that both the teams have started the season. Then one of the more interesting games to see how Sydney will respond. They take on the Pies at the MCG, as Nathan talked about earlier. And to conclude the round, we've got North Melbourne taking on St Kilda at Marvel. Immediately, my eyes um, turn to Friday night as probably the game of the round. Um, you would ex- be expecting it to be really interesting, particu- particularly in the contested ball battle. Um, both, you know, midfields are pretty strong. Um, you've got Carlton, who are contested ball beasts, even though they haven't necessarily shown that this mm-hmm. year. But what a time like Friday night to bounce back and. Um, even though this game is in Geelong and Geelong would be heavy favourites, um, it would be really interesting to see how the Crows go for me. Those are probably the two games that I'm leaning towards the most. And as we touched on, can Sydney respond and uh, at least challenge Collingwood? I don't think many people would expect them to get the win over the Pies at the MCG, but you know, just make it a, a good contest and you know try and bounce back after what's been a few... Um, for weeks for the Swans. Jake, because you were left out of the fantasy segment again, which games are you liking from the weekend? Uh, well, obviously the history between the Dogs and uh, the Giants goes back a long way. So obviously those games are always pretty fiery. Um, I'm kind of a nerd for doing this, but I mean, Hawthorne and Fremantle, that's just going to be the biggest slop fest. Um, it kind of gives me North Melbourne Fremantle vibes. Uh, can, you know, Hawthorne maybe sneak, you know, sneak over the line, not in the classic, but like a 50 to 54 win or something like that. Will it be sloppy? Um, and yeah, I mean, Essendon Port, can we, res- can we respond? Port Adelaide been playing, you know, well at Marvel, obviously eight straight there. You're going to Adelaide Oval now. 
can you uh, you know continue your form over there and can we uh, continue to play you know hopefully three good quarters and maybe one good average quarter so um, yeah that's those are the games I'm looking for as well very good Ash which games are you looking forward to and you're not allowed to say the Blues oh come on <laughs> look we'll, we'll touch quickly on the Blues I think I think the game as a whole matches up really well you sort of have you know, on one side, Brisbane with a really strong forward line. You know, Cameron, as a small, has been kicking heaps of goals. Danaher and Hipwood have sort of turned out to be, you know, pretty decent as well. Then the Blues are also known for not conceding huge scores, and their backline as a whole has really stood up quite well so far this year. But on the other hand, the midfield battle, you have Dunkley and you have Neil versus Cripps and Walsh. And who can forget King Charlie and Prince Harry? Oh, it just works so well with the Royals. So, uh, look, before I get too far uh, on top of myself, the Brisbane Lions don't travel that well um, to Melbourne and outside of the Gabba. So I reckon Carlton are a sneaky chance. Look, I'm probably not bright enough to tip them, but I reckon it should be a really tight contest, hopefully. Yeah, no Zorka or Rich either for Brisbane. So yeah. a couple of big losses too. Two big outs there. Mm. Typical Ash, I would say no Carlton, and then you throw in a couple of cheesy comments about Carlton, and they were real cheesy with uh, talking about the Royals. Lucky last, Nathan, um, what were your um, games that you're looking forward to this weekend? Yeah, obviously the Crows, um, look for them to respond. Always a challenge down at Geelong. I think probably the two games I'm interested to see how they go this weekend, weirdly for me, is Gold Coast versus Melbourne. Um, Gold Coast obviously coming off a couple of weeks of good form, um, putting together some some strong wins. Um, ben King finding some form. And obviously Melbourne as well on the road this week, but they've been a bit hit and miss, especially defensively as well. So I'm really intrigued to see how that goes, and especially the ruck battle. The ruck battle's got me intrigued. Big Witsy versus Gorn and Grundy. I'm I'm looking forward to that. Um, and then Sunday afternoon, I've already spoken about it, but Collingwood versus Sydney. Sydney sort of go back to the uh, the haunted house, if you will, of the MCG, and you know Collingwood are near unbeatable there. So I, I guess the comment that I've written down for this game is Sydney don't want to get belted because the amount of um, emotional scars and baggage that they're collecting in this early stage of the season, with you know a big loss down in Geelong, and then the big loss, the first game they played at the MCG this year against Melbourne. It's probably not good for their psyche this early on in the season. So I'm really intrigued to see how they respond from a, a tough loss last week. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, we're all excited for this weekend's round of footy. Hopefully there's a few upsets to talk about on next week's show. But thank you so much uh, to those of you who have tuned into the podcast, whether you're listening on Spotify Wherever you are listening around the world, thank you so much for tuning in. So if you haven't already, make sure that you go and subscribe to the Mojo Sports AFL Instagram page to make sure that you stay up to date with what we have to discuss. And there's going to be some really exciting announcements from Mojo Sports coming in the next few weeks. So Jake, Ash, Nathan, Thanks for joining me as always, and we will see you guys on the next episode. Cheers.